Thinking globally while communicating locally. Jeopardy! James is out, and we introduce our new deep dive segment with guest Caitlin Donahue of The Curly Group. All this and more on this week's Three Seas in a Pod. Three Seas in a Pod, a weekly podcast from Provision Advisors. A look at the good, the bad, and the what could be better in the world of communication. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Bashan Mann, and with me on the show are Chris Cervello and John Schofield. We thank you for joining us this week. For more of the Provision Conversation, follow us on Twitter and give us your thoughts at ProV Advisors. That's P-R-O-V Advisors. Or check us out on the web, www.provisionadvisors.net. As always, we look forward to hearing from you. All right, welcome back, folks. Uh, let's begin today's show with our segment, Rearview Mirror. Uh, John, you spent some time this week at the Annapolis PR Bazaar uh, talking about the importance of communicating locally. Uh, you want to give our uh, give our listeners a little bit of uh, insight uh, into what took place last Monday? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, we wrote up a blog this week at provisionadvisors.net where I just sort of encapsulated the importance of that event, what that event is, and uh, and what people can learn from it. Uh, learning from the experience that I just had there. So every year, uh, around the same time each year, uh, Wendy Winters, who was one of the five uh, Capital Gazette employees killed in a shooting uh, last June 28th, um, she used to run this local PR bazaar um, every year in Annapolis. And it just gathered together like-minded individuals, reporters, PAOs, small business owners, community leaders, in some cases, elected officials. It was a great, great event. And I was lucky to start doing that when I was the PAO at the Naval Academy. And it allowed me to just learn from other PR professionals that allowed me to meet people, expand the network. And it was a really just neat way of making the community smaller. Uh, you know, it opens your eyes that there are a lot of people who run their own PR business like we do. There are a lot of people who need PR help. And there are a lot of people who benefit from learning or from hearing from PR professionals like us, but also hearing from reporters. Pam Wood, who is a fantastic political reporter from the Baltimore Sun, was there. Rick Hutzel, the editor-in-chief of the Annapolis Capitol, was there. I wrote in the blog, and I won't belabor the point too much here, just how utterly important I believe it is that we continue to foster and nurture these local relationships. No matter how national your brand gets, no matter how internationally you're trying to make your PR business, it really makes a lot of sense to take these relationships locally and do local community outreach, local community service, local communication, just so people understand what the benefit is to the neighborhood, how PR firms like ours breathe life into a local economy. And I'll end with this. The, the biggest thing for me in the end was just relationships. Uh, letting other people know that I care about being a small business owner living in Annapolis, letting other people know that I want to learn from them and hoping that they can learn from us. Um, I know you guys have your own experiences with communicating locally. I'll, I'd like to hear from you, but one last drive for people to go to provisionadvisors.net and read the blog or check it out on social media. I've posted it on LinkedIn and Twitter. Thank you. I appreciate that, John. Chris, did you want to chime in there with anything? Uh, I was lucky enough to be invited uh, by John uh, to, uh, to tag along and, um, to watch uh, the interaction uh, between John and, and also the other uh, 14 or 15 panelists. And uh, it was a great event. 
um, being familiar with uh, the Annapolis area, um, I found it particularly uh, compelling, the conversation that occurred between the communicators and those in the community who were looking for uh, communication advice and support. To me, this is the fun part of what we get to do. Um, it's one thing to, uh, to interact with um, international or, uh, or large uh, businesses um, and to participate in their endeavors. Um, I mean, that, that is rewarding um, both financially um, and professionally. But I think particularly when you get to deal with local grassroots type organizations and you really understand their communication challenges and opportunities, um, and help them maximize or, or mitigate the challenges, um, you know, depending on what the case is. I think that's where there's a lot of uh, a lot of benefit to us as a communicator. I think we grow as communicators by learning and by participating in local communications. And it's particularly rewarding when you're able to uh, take somebody's challenge and turn it into an opportunity. Um, so I really enjoyed it and look, look forward to doing more of that type of business. Uh, yes, gentlemen, I echo those sentiments exactly. Uh, a tried and true resident of D.C., uh, I can point to the most recent example of Don't Mute D.C. Uh, and some of the other gentrification issues that are occurring here in the district that just sort of uh, point to that communication uh, challenge, communicating locally, people living in and around one another and perhaps not necessarily understanding the priorities uh, that local business owners, local residents have. All right, folks, moving on to our next subject with the 137th selection in the Major League Baseball draft, the Boston Red Sox select Naval Academy pitcher Noah Song. Well, gentlemen, highest draft selection uh, in Naval Academy history. Uh, Chris, I'll throw it over to you for your take uh, on this important moment in Noah Song's and the Naval Academy and I guess as well the Boston Red Sox uh, circle. Hey, so I think this is a tremendous opportunity for the Navy. Um, I, I think the opportunity for Noah is obvious, um, and I think the opportunity for the Red Sox will become obvious if Noah is allowed to pitch in the major leagues. For the Navy, here is another opportunity to be able to take a world-class athlete, and really from all, um, all indicators, a world-class uh, human being and uh, you know, junior naval officer, and allow him to achieve uh, the second part of his dream, uh, listening and reading um, some of the things that were written about Noah um, or that were put on uh, sports podcasts. Uh, Noah has made it very clear that his dream since he was a young kid was to go to the Naval Academy and to be a Naval officer. Uh, and late last month, um, he, along with his 2019 classmates, uh, he achieved that dream. His second dream was to be a pitcher um, in major in the major leagues, and uh, you know, hopefully, um, with the Navy's permission, he'll be able to do that. Um, I won't get into the process uh, that that exists, but I I will take this time um, to not only congratulate Noah and congratulate the Navy baseball team, but to really just kind of talk about the opportunity that Noah provides the Navy to bridge some of the civil divide that exists. Um, the Navy is very good at reaching traditional recruits, at reaching traditional audiences. And what I mean by that is, is people that have a family member in the military or particularly the Navy, the Navy is very good at, at reaching out to that audience and, and convincing those people to, uh, to join again. And those people are patriots and they should be congratulated and thanked for their service. But when an opportunity like this comes along, 
I think the Navy really needs to jump at it and look at NOAA as um, as not only an ambassador uh, for baseball from the Navy, but an ambassador to audiences that otherwise wouldn't think of the Navy as a career um, or wouldn't think of the Navy um, in the context of national security. So I hope that as uh, NOAA's request is made and that uh, discussions are had on whether or not he can, as part of his naval assignment, can play baseball part-time. Um, I really hope the Navy looks at this from a holistic approach. John, what about you? So there's a lot to unpack here, uh, so bear with me as I tend to go long. But um, yesterday on the front page of ESPN.com was a story about how Joe Cardona was promoted to the rank of lieutenant right there at Gillette stadium on the football field that he plays on with the new england patriots as a long snapper and joe cardona is really the last example he and keenan reynolds about four years ago went through this same thing when i was the pao at the naval academy they were uh, fantastic players a lot of discussions about whether they were going to get drafted by nfl teams a lot of discussions with then Secretary of the Navy, Ray Mavis, about whether they'd be allowed to play right away and defer their active duty service uh, in exchange for reserve service. And uh, they went on to chase their dreams. Keenan is now at the Seattle Seahawks, uh, hoping to make that roster. And Joe is the starting long snapper for the defending Super Bowl champions. And you know, Chris talking about the great opportunity for the Navy, they were on the front cover of ESPN.com yesterday, him getting promoted to lieutenant with quotes from Tom Brady and quotes from Bill Belichick. And that's what we're talking about. That's the opportunity the Navy has here. And before anyone gets lost in this, you know, because I know that baseball is a little bit different from football, Noah Song doesn't have minor league stuff. Noah Song probably could have and should have been picked in the top 20 picks in the draft. He certainly could have last year, and he really should have this year. Uh, he was 11-1. and one. He had an extremely low ERA. He averaged about 11 strikeouts per outing. And let's not get lost in the fact that he is one of four finalists for the Golden Spikes Award, which is the baseball equivalent of the Heisman. So this kid could very well, could very likely – uh, be pitching in the major leagues in two years. And what I would say is the Navy has a great opportunity to watch a promotion from ensign to lieutenant junior grade right there at the mound at Fenway Park in the future if this kid gets the opportunity to play. I think it would send a great message. I think, again, that it won't hurt recruiting for people coming to service academies. I think people coming to service academies will understand that people who go there are developed into future pro athletes. They're developed into future scientists and astronauts. They're developed in future world leaders. And they're developed into people of character and consequence. Noah Song is a person and a man of character and consequence. I hope he gets his chance to pitch right away and for the duration of his major league career in favor of the deferment of his active duty service. Very well said. I know here at Provision Advisors, we wish Noah Song the very best Switching gears to one Jeopardy James. I know on this show, uh, I have advocated uh, for people to uh, take part in the phenomenon that is uh, Jeopardy James, James Holzhauer, uh, the self-acclaimed uh, sports uh, gambling professional uh, out of Las Vegas who took the Jeopardy television show, television game show by storm, uh, appearing for 33 straight uh, times on the show. 
uh, as he pursued the uh, championship uh, held by Ken Jennings um, of just over $2 million. However, Jeopardy! James was halted this past week when Emma Bocher, a librarian, uh, came on the show and actually outsmarted Jeopardy! James at his own game, wagering just a, a ridiculous high number when it came to Final Jeopardy. For some people, they'll look at it as a flash in the pan or just a very bright meteor, but it, it, it captured the nation for about a month or so. And I just think, as you saw, in ratings went up. You saw conversations about uh, James Holzhauer and his, his way of wagering was ruining the game. Uh, you had people who came out and said, no, you know, this guy's never going to get Ken Jennings' record. And Ken did it the quote-unquote right way. Uh, in terms of how he pursued the game. Uh, so it got people talking on both sides. From a communication standpoint, and as we talk uh, in deep dive, we talked about branding uh, in the interview. You see how people were upset. Uh, some people were upset with how Jeopardy! got turned on its head uh, with the unorthodox style of wagering that, that Holzhauer brought to the program. And people wanted to go back to what they knew what they had been comfortable with. Jeopardy is, uh, to them, was played a certain way. Uh, so it's something for us to think about, I believe, uh, you know, as professionals in this public relations business. Let me ask you a yeah, question. Go ahead. go ahead. Does this make as much news? Does this win streak make, make as much news had Alex Trebek's sickness, his pancreatic cancer, not been in the news so close before it happening? Because I, I don't, I know I don't watch Jeopardy anymore. I watched it as you know, a high schooler, my dad and I would watch Jeopardy and see who would know more answers. But I don't know who watches Jeopardy now other than old people and 45-year-old African-American men in D.C. Um, so <laughs> like, I, it, it, I'm asking you as an aficionado of the show, do you think Jeopardy! James makes as much news had Alex Trebek not been in the news right before that? Here's what I'll say. When Alex Trebek had made the statement about... Um, and well, when he announced that he had stage four pancreatic cancer, I just because I follow the news, this is the business that I'm in. Um, I was aware of it. I didn't turn on Jeopardy that night, having heard of that announcement, and I didn't turn it on the next night. It was brought to my attention that I needed to see how this individual was wagering, and it was something that you had never seen before. Okay, I'll tune in and check it out. And when I saw what he was doing, I was amazed at his action. Yes, I know that Alex Trebek has been the longstanding host of this program for decades, but that doesn't, his, his help was not steering me uh, to, to the program. And what kept me going back was watching this individual do that. So I, I, I think people were more, more amazed at the fact that this individual had this completely unorthodox way of wagering and then like you know hold on stop the press he was smart um, and he had personality you know, that it, it he became a popular figure and i'll use this as as the segue into another you know communications item that i found interesting is social media has allowed guys like james holzhauer to to gain popularity and keep popularity and show people that they have personality beyond what viewers just see on the show I thought it was really one of the funniest tweets I've ever seen uh, when some lady had tweeted at him like, hey, I think the fix was in on this whole thing. He lost on purpose. He had just mentioned how much he missed playing with his daughter at home. 
Um, and so I think he lost on purpose. And Holzhauer tweeted back at her with, yeah, making $150,000 a week on a show uh, versus going home and having toys thrown at my crotch. Yeah, seems like a pretty easy decision. Um, it, I, I just thought it was, it was hilarious. And, and, you know, he's, he's gained popularity on the show and I think he'll keep popularity via social media. That's the beast that social media is. Yeah. And the, the conspiracy theories were, were, were all over the place. There's no sports book in Vegas that's going to take the risk of uh, offering him to throw. I mean, it, that's maybe that's naive of me to think, but uh, that's a bright spotlight uh, to all of a sudden throw the very last game when you're uh, just a couple of thousand dollars <laughs> away from the all-time uh, uh, earning championship. So, well, we've run that into the ground, but most of all, let's say a salute to Ken Jennings, the, the, the reigning champion, uh, salute to Jeopardy James, and most of all, salute to Emma the librarian for beating Jeopardy James at his own game. I wish, you, I wish you all the very best. Folks, we took a look back, and when we return, we're going to deep dive. You're listening to Three Season a Pod. Provision Advisors, we prepare your team for the what-ifs you never thought you'd encounter. Let us help solve your toughest communication challenges and leave your team stronger and more capable for the opportunities that lie ahead. We're back, and it's time to deep dive. Folks, this week we begin our new approach to the deep dive segment. Now, each episode, we will feature a PR or industry professional that either provides communication advice or uses communication as a key part of their business. Our first guest today is Caitlin Donahue of The Curly Group to discuss personal branding. Chris, I'm going to send it over to you. Thanks, Bash. And as you mentioned, we are deep diving with Caitlin Donahue from Curly. Caitlin, thanks for agreeing to be our first guest on this newly focused deep dive segment. Thanks for having me. So let's start by quickly going over what you do at Curly. Can you give us just a quick rundown? Sure. So we are a strategic communications firm based in D.C., and I like to say that we do a lot of PR for GR, so public relations for government relations. A lot of our clients are organizations or companies who are looking to have an impact in the government relations space, um, whether that be elevating you know, their brand among policy stakeholders or trying to advocate for a specific issue um, or sometimes on the crisis side of things we're helping them manage their crisis and, and rebuild or defend their reputation. A little bit more about what I do, uh, I am an SVP and director of digital so I tend to look at things more through the digital lens for our clients as opposed to more traditional media and um, a lot of what I've been doing recently has been helping clients um, build their brand online and also protect their reputation using digital assets, which um, I think is becoming more and more of a more and more of a thing, as as you know. I do, um, and as we talked about before we went on air, um, the focus of this segment is a little bit closer to the individual's personal branding. You do this both at Curly, but you've also provided personal branding advice to community and nonprofit groups. When you go out and talk to those groups, um, what do you tell them is the importance uh, behind establishing a personal brand? Sure. So I think the reality is, is that people and individuals are just as much of a brand as any organization or company today. So a lot of the same principles apply. 
which means that if you're an individual who's, who's seeking to build a career and establish yourself um, among a certain group of stakeholders, you really have to put together your own personal branding strategy the same way that any company or organization would. And the reason being is that it's just, it's the nature of the world we live in today. I mean, obviously we're here on this podcast today. Podcasts are increasingly important, but your digital reputation and your digital footprint online is, is one of the first things that any employer, stakeholder, prospect, or, you know, customer is going to see about you. When you talk to folks, do they get that importance? I mean, you, you make a great case for it, but is that obvious to folks that are outside of the, uh, the communication world? Sometimes. I mean, I think that for folks who have been in and around the space of communications and policy and politics for the past couple of years, it's becoming increasingly more important. Those that are just coming back into the space, whether it be from a different industry or those who are looking to grow their career, are starting to realize just how important it actually is. Um, and I think once you start pointing out the the elements of what building a personal branding strategy looks like absolutely people start to get it and they start to realize that it really isn't that hard which i know we're going to get into a little bit a little bit further on but um it doesn't have to be complicated and it's you know not not um terribly uh expensive either so if you're new to this if you um are talking to folks um either in a professional setting or um you, you know kind of as a as a public service and they haven't spent much time on their own brand where do you advise that they begin Sure. I think that one of the first things that you can do is a digital audit of yourself. And that simply means to Google yourself. Um, take a look at what's showing up when you, when you type in your name. Um, and if, you know, and if you have friends that are willing to help you out, I would have your friends do the same. Um, I think that, you know, most people have some sort of online presence, whether they realize it or not. I, I have conversations with people all the time who are like, I'm not online. I'm not on Twitter. Well, the reality is they probably opened a Twitter account 10 years ago and then never did anything with it. So when you think about, you know, as a hiring manager, that's also one of my roles at my firm is I, I recruit and hire all of our staff. So I'm constantly looking at resumes and um, one of the first things I do is Google, and I'm sure you do too. And whether or not it's, you know, from a hiring perspective or if you're, you know, planning to, um, you know, go out and hire a vendor, um, I, I go on their website. So first things first is do a digital audit of yourself. And then I think the second thing is, um, is, is truly getting the infrastructure together. So, I mean, every person at this point in time should have a LinkedIn account. Um, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you need to have a Snapchat account or Instagram, <laughs> but, but at, a, at a bare minimum, if you are a professional working and living in and around, uh, you know, DC or any metropolitan area for that matter, um, have a LinkedIn. And then in addition to that, I think one of the best investments you can make is to have a professional headshot of yourself. Um, that professional headshot you can then use for your LinkedIn profile, you know, your Twitter profile, if you decide to move down that route. Um, and it's just, it's, it's one of the most, um, easy, effective ways that you can look polished, even if you're not. No, that's a great point. As I'm changing my Twitter uh, picture <laughs> from, uh, my goofy smile to my headshot, I, I appreciate the advice. That's great advice for folks that are new to this if you've been at this for a while, how do you know if you're on track um, or what should you be considering if you simply just want to up your game? 
I think that you get the infrastructure together. So you do the, you do the digital audit. And again, I think that if you do have a Twitter presence, if you do have a Facebook and um, other social media presence, that you should start thinking about honing what you're doing and saying on those channels uh, to make sure that it's aligned with, with where you're headed in your career and, and how you want people to perceive you. So, you know, I know a lot of times uh, people, people think that Facebook and um, other channels are more for personal as opposed to professional, but it, it does all show up at some, you know, you can Google and see someone's Facebook profiles or pictures. So I think that if you really want to start getting serious about this, you start figuring out um, if, if your posts, you know, stuff that maybe you used to post on your personal channels um, without a lot of thought, you put a little bit more thought into it to say, you know, what's the point of me doing this? Is this, is this something that I want people to, is there something I want people to take away from this post about me? Is it, you know, is, is there some sort of point of view I can add? I think that's one of the biggest pieces of advice that I've been giving a lot of young people in this, in the space who come to me is the importance of having a point of view. I think a lot of us just go out there and engage and share content online without a lot of rhyme or reason and um it's so cluttered like we that our channels are cluttered there's so much stuff out there i think that if you're going to um really dig in and, and try to up your game here think about the pieces of content that you're sharing and before you share it what's your perspective add add your unique perspective pull a quote out that that, that means something to you and that that aligns with what you're trying to achieve. And I think that, you know, I know that some people sort of cringe at that sort of thing because it feels, it might feel a little bit too um, strategic, but I really do think that um, in, in the environment that we're in is that you've got to figure out how to differentiate yourself from the rest of the crowd. I think you do make good points about, you know, whether it's you're communicating to your friend group or whether you're communicating to your professional group, um, you know, you need to put some thought into it if you want to be effective. Truly. And I, exactly. It has to be authentic. I think that, I think some of the most successful people that I see really building a great you know, personal brand online, which again, reason why we're talking about this is that the personal and professional are, are intersecting more and more today and that they're almost, they almost can't exist um, alone anymore, but that the most, the most effective people are, are, are being strategic with, while still being authentic while still being real and, and, you know, showing, showing insights into their, you know, not so perfect life while also offering some sort of value to their, to their followers. Yeah. And I think we, I mean, whether we realize it or not, I think we all have friends that do that or, or contacts that do that, you know, really well, or some that just miss the mark time in and, and time again. And, and so, um, you know, maybe in addition to uh, that digital audit of yourself, um, you know, using your advice, you can also go back and look at your own LinkedIn contacts and your, your own Facebook or Instagram friends and, you know, kind of look for examples of who's doing it right and who's doing it wrong. Exactly. That's what I do all the time. It's obviously my job to do this. I'm constantly on the lookout for 
um, what's new and what's next and, and what's working and, and what I think is resonating. Um, so I have a lot of people in my space that I, that I follow and try and emulate, but I 100% agree, Chris. I think that, I think that success in this, in this arena is very subjective and that what, what looks good for, for folks in my space as a, as opposed to the people that, that you interact with every day um, is very different. So I think it's important that people do spend some time in their channels looking at their friends and colleagues and people that they admire and, and saying, oh, okay, like that's resonating with me. I like that. Like, and, and then try and build your strategy around that. Great advice. Hey, we're almost out of time, but what, what didn't I ask you um, that you think would be important as we wrap up the discussion on personal branding? Sure. So I think, you know, something that's super simple that is, is truly one of the most effective things I've found in terms of um, building brand, whether it be for organizations or, or individuals, is um, you have to like and engage other people's content in order for people to like and engage in yours. And um, I know that we all probably see you know, posts on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter and others where, you know, they have lots of engagement and retweets and um, think, you know, I put content out there and, and no one engages. And the reality is, is that, you know, you're not, as, as individuals, we aren't brands and you're not going to have um, engagements in the hundreds and thousands, but all you really need is, is a few meaningful um, engagements. But in order to do that, you got to start, you got to start giving some love elsewhere. And so I found that um, as people are liking and sharing and commenting on others, uh, content, it's, it's reciprocated tenfold. Well, thank you for giving our audience some love, uh, today and, uh, on our latest edition of deep dive, appreciate you joining us. I uh, hope you'll come back and join us again. Absolutely. Anytime. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bash back to you. You have the con. Thanks, Chris. And great interview, by the way. Our thanks to Caitlin for providing us the genuine and professional insight. Stay with us. We're coming right back with what's next on the horizon. You're listening to Three Season a Pod. At Provision Advisors, we specialize in strategic communication planning, execution, and coaching for senior level leaders and communicators dedicated to achieving success. We work together with your team to achieve favorable outcomes amid contentious or controversial issues which directly impact relationships and market identity. Welcome back to Three Season a Pod with Provision Advisors. Gentlemen, let's look out on the horizon at what the next week might bring. Chris, you're up first. At our house, the next week and really for the next couple of weeks will be about the Women's World Cup. Uh, I think I've said before on this show, I have a 12-year-old daughter uh, who is an avid travel soccer player, but more than uh, what will entertain Lon and Ava Cervello at the Cervello House here in Alexandria. Um, the start of the Women's Cup, I, I think really, um, especially this year, re represents something special for women's sports. Uh, this one, besides being a, um, a really fantastic team that represents the U.S., year in and year out. I think the Women's World Cup from a marketing standpoint has hit it just really out of the park. Everything from new uniforms that do a better job of uh, of, of highlighting women's style and, and women's fit to um, a recently uh, released Nike commercial that really is just fantastic in terms of taking a, a young girl through all of the excitement of women's soccer. Everything from exciting plays on the field to 
interaction with professional soccer's first women's coach, um, just really highlighting the potential for young girls in the soccer world. So I'm really excited about the World Cup uh, from an entertainment standpoint, but also excited to watch how they market and advertise this to young women and to audiences around the world. I'm partial to that too, Chris, because, well, I, I sat there last night and watched the replay of the final four years ago against Japan when Carly right, yeah. Lloyd scored two goals early on, and it was exciting as hell. When I was at the Naval Academy as a lieutenant teaching, I was the women's soccer O-Rep and was lucky enough to be around that team for two years, coached by uh, the former Karen Jennings, now Karen Gabera, uh, who used to be one of women's soccer's big stars. And I think this is a pure form of soccer, the Women's World Cup. Not to throw shade at the men's game and the Men's World Cup and, and men's soccer, but you don't see any of the bullshit in women's soccer, the histrionic diving, the, just the sheer faking. Uh, yeah, it, certainly women's soccer players might not be as fast and might not have the talent on the ball that like a Neymar does or a Cristiano Ronaldo, but you see a pure form of soccer. And the other thing I love about this team is that they have been more outspoken than I think any other group about equality, about getting equal pay, about getting equal attention. Hey, we shouldn't be playing on AstroTurf. We should be playing on grass fields. That's what the men's team gets. Hey, if the men's team gets paid this much, we should get paid this much. That's called fairness. And I really admire players like Rapino and Tobin Heath, uh, Carly Lloyd, um, Alex Morgan, who have really taken that message to USA Soccer and demanded equality. Uh, now's their time to be on the stage for a couple of weeks, and I really hope they win again. Yeah, I agree. Excellent. Uh, John, over to you. I'm going to be watching something that just happened here in the last 24 hours, a little incident uh, in the Philippine Sea between a Russian destroyer and uh, a U.S. Navy cruiser, USS Chancellorsville, uh, operating in the Philippine Sea or in the vicinity of the Philippine Sea. There's video and photo coverage out there of what was really a very close call uh, within 100 feet, it looked like, from one photo. Um, and it's getting a lot of attention out there. Barbara Starr from CNN tweeting a lot about it. Uh, mm -hmm. I was really impressed with how 7th Fleet immediately came out and, and won the narrative and got information out there and got the video out there. That's a credit to the collateral duty PAO on the, uh, on the Chancellorsville and their Snoopy team and, and the 7th Fleet PAO for getting the actual footage out there and talking about what happened and didn't happen. Certainly this was a provocative act by the Russians. Uh, and then as we well know from our last presidential election, the Russians have a pretty savvy social media team out there uh, trying to troll us right away, trying to steal uh, the narrative and trying to assert a, a different version of the facts uh, through basically a cyber attack after a uh, I'm not going to call what the destroyer did to the Chancellorsville and naval attack, but it certainly was provocative. Um, so really, tip of the cap to the 7th Fleet PA staff, uh, and, and certainly I'm interested looking forward, going forward, uh, how this is going to play in the news, uh, because last thing in the world we need is another mishap with a ship in the 7th Fleet AOR. Two points real quick, John. This is the second incident this week uh, in which we've seen Russian uh, bad behavior. Earlier in the week, uh, a Russian fighter jet uh, got very, very close to 
a P8 Poseidon in the European theater uh, operating in an, in an unsafe and unprofessional manner. Um, and then now you have, uh, as, as you laid out, uh, these two ships uh, getting very close. But this is something that we have struggled with, um, I think, in years past uh, to win the narrative. I think in many cases, the facts have been on our side and and days and weeks afterwards, we've been able to get the facts out and we've been able to get the, the video out that, uh, that show that we were in the right. But uh, you're, you're absolutely correct. Uh, BZ to Clay Doss and his staff at Seven Fleet. Uh, Clay is a friend of the show and a friend of the, the three of us. Uh, and BZ to the Navy and the larger US government for really pushing this today to make sure that uh, the US side of the story was out first and that we were combating those Russian uh, bots that, that sought to troll us and, and steal the narrative. Definitely good work all around, and we will continue to, uh, to keep an eye on it. Uh, folks, the fourth annual Boat Rides for Veterans takes place this Saturday out of White's Marina in New Hamburg, New York. Uh, this date celebrates 60 years of service to boaters in and around Dutchess County and celebrates the uh, veterans who are from Dutchess County, New York. Uh, I'll be on the road in a matter of hours to participate uh, in this event. Uh, a native son of Dutchess County, it's very important to me. Uh, John, you spoke earlier about uh, communicating locally, and uh, I'll be going up there to provide my remarks. I've got a skin in the game. Not only am I from Dutchess County, but my father, George Mann, is one of the boaters uh, that is going to be offering rides to the, uh, to the veterans tomorrow. Uh, so I'm really excited, uh, along with uh, 60 years of service uh, for White's Marina. Uh, we've got uh, just about 60 uh, veterans uh, from uh, around Dutchess County who are going to come down there tomorrow uh, and participate in the ceremonies and uh, take a little uh, little ride uh, on the Hudson River. It's a it's a great time. Um, they're going to actually leave White's Marina and head south, do a turnaround at uh, at West Point, and then come on back up uh, where they'll have uh, where they'll have lunch and. Uh, be able to talk with the other boaters and veterans uh, there in the area. I'm proud of it, proud of my father. I'm proud of the other boaters uh, that are there at White's Marina. Uh, thank you to the ownership, Don White uh, and his family. Uh, really appreciate that you guys allow folks to do this. We've got some 20 boats uh, that are going to be taking these veterans out for a little day cruise. Uh, and I think with the anniversary of 75th anniversary uh, of D-Day yesterday, uh, the timing is, is perfect. Uh, and it allows, uh, allows us to um, commemorate our veterans, thank their families, and thank them for their service uh, right there in our, in our local communities. So I'm, I'm glad to be a part of that. Uh, folks, as we always say, be good, be safe, and be better than yesterday. Thank you for listening to Three C's in a Pod. Have a great week.